0: what happens if it gets really bad sometimes people wake up so the feeling is that things are going to get really bad and people will wake up and say we don't really need to live this way if you see what i'm saying we don't really need to be this way and there'll be a, a spiritual transformation maybe from the trauma of how bad they get that's what i would say
1: but there is something special about the suffering that then saying, hey, enough with the suffering, like when it comes to war and violence and fighting and hate, hatred and anger and all of this. Enough with that, I'm tired of living this way. Like addiction in my life, like I was over it. I was like, I'm so tired of being right. addicted to drugs and alcohol and destroying myself and right. being unhealthy and being sick. I want to do something about it. Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of
2: Becoming Cancer Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week,
1: Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am excited to have a longtime friend, uh, Dr. Gabriel Cousins, here with us, somebody I've known for probably over a decade now. Um, who's spoken at my conferences, who's been to our retreats, who has been um, somebody I've interviewed many, many times. He's a uh, someone I look up to and have learned a lot from, and he's helped thousands and thousands and thousands of patients around the world. He is a medical doctor. He's a diplomat of American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine, a diplomat of Ayurveda. He's a mystic visionary. He's a renowned world spiritual teacher, um, and he is the founder of the Holistic Liberation Way and the Tree of Life Foundation. He's a prolific, best-selling author and uh, is living in Israel right now. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, we're going to dive into a lot of really interesting topics, talk a little bit about the war and what's happening there, talk about uh, and his perspective on it and a spiritual perspective about it. We're going to talk about um, the live food vegan diet Dr. Cousins has been a life food vegan, raw vegan, thriving raw vegan for how long? Like forty plus years. Plus
0: okay. Forty plus years.
1: Forty plus years. Forty plus years. Um, I think last time I talked to you, you were still able to do like a hundred pull ups in a row or something like that. Um, very, you know, strong and fit and healthy and thriving. Uh, into his later years. And so anyway, Gabriel, welcome to the podcast. Super, super excited to uh, have you here for this conversation.
0: Nathan, it's a joy to be here. It's good to see you. And what I'd like to do in starting us off is a prayer that merges the heart and the mind, the heavens and the earth, which is kind of our task. Everybody has this task. So I'm just going to say this prayer and then let people integrate their heart and mind as we say it the love cake. Be cos amen. So feel amen. that merging of heart and mind, heavens and earth.
1: Beautiful, yeah. Thank you for that. You know, I've been practicing qigong for a number of years now, and that's one of the core practices of qigong yes. is to connect, you know, the the human as being the vessel, the connector of the of the heavens and the earth right exactly and so, exactly it's a similar now where was that where was that prayer from what tradition
0: well that actually is it, it's part of the prayer service in in the hebrew tradition
1: mm, beautiful now you're also a master teacher of the essenes aren't you yes if yes. i remember correctly yeah i've been
0: you can call it a scene prayer that would be pretty accurate
1: so the Essenes are really interesting. Uh, I've been stu- you know, I've I've read the book a number of books about the Essenes and actually have been I used to do Native American sweat lodges on a property where they were practicing Essenes. The sit in a well, spiritual yeah. community in San Diego. This was like fifteen years ago.
0: I actually know that. I I'm a Native American Sundancer. And we did some warmups on that property.
1: Really? <laughs> awesome. No, I'm serious. <laughs> That's amazing. It was incredible, though. I mean, some of the most some of the most uh, you know conscious awakening spiritual experiences I ever had were coming out of the sweat lodges at that at that Essen property. And like, I remember one sweat lodge coming out, and I literally felt like. I was born brand new. Like I was a brand new baby yeah. born human being seeing the world for the first time. And it was, it was so transformative. The trees were vibrating. Of course, there was no, no psychedelics, no cannabis. None of that stuff is allowed in traditional sweat lodges, right? In right. Traditional Tema That stuff's not allowed, but you feel like you come out of it, that the chanting and the, and the music and the, and the fire and the herbs and the heat yeah. come out of it. And it's like, you are transformed as a, as a human being, and the trees are vibrating. I could see the energy. You know, I was having deep conversations with people, and we weren't even speaking. Our mouths weren't moving. It was, it was wild, but, but so incredible. And so that's – now, when did you originally get your training in the, in the Essenes? Because it's such a beautiful spiritual tradition. You know, with the cold and flu season here, it's critically important that we enhance and strengthen our immune systems. Yes? Would you agree? The problem is, though, that there's so much confusion out there when it comes to what actually works for our bodies and for our health. Well, I'll tell you what I use. I use Maison Beljansky's wellness products. Maison Beljansky's products are backed by science to not only help empower the immune system, but can support detoxification and contribute to our overall health. Coming from Europe, the all natural Beljansky formulas are now available in the United States and are recommended by top doctors everywhere. A lot of the colleagues I work with, functional medicine practitioners that work with patients with all kinds of diseases, are recommending Maison Beljansky's products to their very own patients. As a special sponsor of this podcast, Maison Beljansky has included a very special discount offer for all of my listeners. You can get 15% off your first order using the promo code Nathan. And you'll always enjoy free shipping when you order four products or more. You can grab your wellness products today at MaisonBeljansky.com. That's M-A-I-S-O-N-B-E-L-J-A-N-S-K-I. MaisonBeljansky.com. And use code Nathan for 15 percent off hey so if you've been following me for any time now you know that i often talk about helen 951 the nitrogen fermented organic soy drink i first learned about it at an integrative cancer event years ago and i've been taking this myself for a long time it's so potent and it has a strong flavor so i add their organic mint powder to it and it's easy to take any time of day i usually take it in the mornings you know, I'm constantly looking into natural health products, and the ones that catch my eye are the ones with years of proven results and the science and research to back them up. I love that helin 951 checks all of these boxes. Made from a unique 100% organic soybean grown in the high mountains of Mongolia, helin 951 has some incredible health properties. Just a few of the benefits are more energy, better sleep, detox, longevity, better immune function, and some fantastic anti-cancer compounds. The folks over at Helan have made a page just for our followers to learn more. You can head over to helan951.com forward slash crane. That's H-A-E-L-A-N 951.com forward slash crane. They have special discounted packages there for you to get you started. And if you use the promo code crane, C-R-A-N-E, at checkout, they will also give you free shipping. So head over and grab this special offer for yourself and use the free shipping promo code CRANE or just give them a call if that's easier for you. They are so easy to work with and have over 32 years in the industry. Again, that's helen951.com forward slash crane.
0: Well, it's many years ago, but I'll just talk about that. Anipi is what we call it. Anipi,
1: exactly. Anipi
0: yeah. is a womb so when you come out you're getting reborn so you had a perfect understanding I mean as a four-year Sunday answer I've been empowered to lead an EPs so it's a very important ceremony in terms of helping people wake up and get that rebirth energy and feel the oneness because in an EP you do feel the oneness
2: yeah absolutely so
0: and our EPs were also without drugs uh, uh I'm part of the high horse clan actually adapted I've been mean, uh, I've mean adapted in the Lakota Sioux high horse clan and um no drugs
1: How did that happen because that is so rare for a you know anybody outside of a native american tribe to be one like even for me as a white guy to be welcomed into these Anipis and these um you know traditional ceremonies is um, is a blessing and it's not it's not a very common thing but then to be adapted into an actual tribe into an actual clan and be a you know uh, empowered to lead Inipi's sweat lodges is like that's a whole other level like it, i'd love to hear the story behind that how did that happen
0: <laughs> well um i really began training but the way i train isn't to go look is to do so uh, to, to become a, a, a real sun dancer, it's four years. Right. right. And my style was such that, now here's this guy, and he doesn't, and traditionally you don't eat or drink for four days. Traditionally. But they noticed that I was the only one of the group who, who was able to do that. So that piqued everybody's interest uh you know well, we had about 80 sun dancers okay and then in the final year we have what's called as an eagle dance well, i did the eagle dance P- other people did sundance and there you you stand hooked to the tree
1: with the with the giant for- uh, hooks
0: right Yeah, well, I can show it. You want to see what the...
1: You got the scars. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the scars. They're crazy. I got the scars. (laughs) We're going to see his scars. Yeah, Sundance. By the way, for for people who don't know, it is a profound spiritual experience. I I haven't done the the full four days, fasted, and then the commit to the four you know the four years. But I've been invited to Sundance, and and you know was a part of one for a day. The Anepi Inip, the at night and the Sundance during the day, and it was it was right. powerful.
0: So this is the pegs.
1: They, oh, they yeah. put your chest at both sides. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are brutal. So
0: these <laughs> pegs, then. Uh, then you're hooked to. Okay. So that's what they put through. They do two cuts at each side and put it through. Now, in the eagle dance, so usually you just do this the last day or second to last day where you, you get that and you have it. But the eagle dance, you do it for four days. No food and water, you stand for four days, sunrise to sunset. And Maybe it's because of the live food, I think it'll it, help. But, you know, basically, I was the only one to stand for four days mm. from sunrise to sunset. You don't leave the circle. You're hooked to the tree for 24 hours a day.
1: You don't you don't lay down to sleep at night. You stand for what Well, you four do? Days. Lay
0: down to sleep at
1: night on the oh, ground. Okay. sunrise to sunset. You were standing hooked to the tree hanging. Well, you were oh, hanging no, you're ho- man, you're hooked
0: really- to the tree for 24 hours a day, but you stand from sunrise to sunset. Mm you're dancing in other words yep and so I was the only one really to do that I was uh age of 60 at that point most of the people were in their 20s so here's this guy who you know is dancing and I was the only one really to make it through the whole thing without leaving the circle and hooked to the tree and so in the Native American way, those things earn a certain amount of respect. I wasn't trying to do it. I was actually having a good time. I like to dance. It's good. <laughs> so what um, about
1: the? I mean, what about the, the being hooked to the tree? I mean, isn't that painful? Uh, well, it's a relative
0: thing. I wouldn't call it. Look, they have to put two cuts in you and two cuts. And you stick that stick through like I was showing. And of course, that's not the most comfortable, right uh, but uh it's okay. it wasn't that painful to be honest with you mm. and, and then, at the end, you have to jerk back and it pulls up rips them out, yeah, yeah so that, that like,
1: had to be painful,
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks like bullet holes right okay. It's it's that big jeez okay. um and I just. <clears throat> I just jerked back and actually did a somersault backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: what, why, why the, why the hooks? I mean, I have, I have un, like a slight understanding of it, but why, why the hooks? Why the hook to the tree?
0: Well, you you know, we never quite ha- had a full explanation, <clears throat> to be honest. The idea is you are committed. You are making a sacrifice for the tribe. Mm. think that way you're making a sacrifice for the tribe and you know we we go we go hunt the tree we cut it down we put it we dig hole we put it up and get it you know and so you're connected to nature it's a real commitment and with the hooks that means you're not going to leave you've made a commitment so that's what the best i understand that to be honest with you
1: now, is there a sense of now, now the fasting for four days and the, the dancing and all of that? I mean, it's a, it's a physical, physical toll. You'll definitely experience you know, ecstasy and suffering through that, right? The suffering part is, isn't the, isn't the suffering part of what's needed to elevate and raise to a higher level of, of consciousness and awareness?
0: Well, it's an interesting question. Um, the focus was not on suffering. You know, one of my Sundance brothers who I'd already done this four years was kind of a, a marshal for the, the thing. He, he looked at me, and I'm smiling, and he says, like, you yeah, know, you're having a good time. The truth is, I was having a good time. I can't say I really suffered. I, that would be unfair.
2: Mm.
0: I can say pulling it out wasn't so comfortable and getting cut, you know. So I have four scars in each right here. Four here, four here, where the peg went through you know where this went through. Mm-hmm. and then the rope is tied to that so but really you go into an altered state so I, I can't tell you that honestly uh, I was suffering you know yes was it painful when you have to cut the thing yeah okay when you break loose yeah not the most comfortable thing I kind of made a scene because I did this backflip. people said I did backflip. I think I just did a song, but I can't tell you're in an altered state yeah that's the the thing and and so you're making a sacrifice for all humanity you're making a sacrifice for your tribe and you're just immersed in it and you're dancing now dancing just ups the spiritual energy you're moving you know now again I I will say this is probably part where I got adapted I didn't ask to get adopted they just adopted me it's kind of like sat me down after dancing you adopted me Mm. but but it's uh it's a sacrifice for humanity you know and you're dancing for humanity you're dancing for life and the tree nature you're becoming one with nature that's how i see it now people may have different interpretations but I think that's a pretty decent way to understand it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I you know, when I did uh I I was with some hippie friends back in San Diego many years ago and we were they're like, Yeah, we're going to Mexico. And I was like, they're like, You want to go? I was like, sure. And we jumped in, I jumped in and I knew it was gonna be a spiritual adventure. And we drove across the border and and then we ended up basically at a sundance at this indigenous tribe in Mexico, and you know, they only spoke Spanish. And so I don't know exactly what tribe they were, but it was, it was similar traditions to the Lakota Sioux, yeah. but but they but they were a different tribe. And and yeah, they welcomed me in, you know, that day. And basically, I was eating just the wild plants that we could find, and um, and that was about it. And then you know, danced all day. And I remember they had like the coyote, right? The coyote person coming up, coming to offer water. And like right, I right. didn't know anything about anything I was doing. I didn't know the history of that time, the tradition, the anything i just got invited and showed up and they're like go dance and you're barefoot on the on the sand and dirt and you know just and i just got into that altered state of just like pure bliss and dancing and i just knew this you know dancer coming out offering me water was like it was i could sense it was like a trick like don't don't take the water you know (laughs) i was like just just be that's why they call
0: coyotes they call coyotes
1: yeah, it's yeah. like the tricksters, right? The tricksters in life that come and try and tempt you. Like you go on a ten day fast or a juice cleanse or something, and every time I ever do a cleanse or a fast, it's like my favorite meal shows up, you know, that hasn't been cooked in like six months. For some reason it gets cooked right. at you're, that you're, time. Yes. It's the it's the coyote yeah. that's tempting you to like, are you committed? Yeah. Are you really gonna committed to your health and what you're doing? Are you gonna give in? Are you gonna be weak? Are you gonna You know, uh, eat this food, and it's like it's a mental, it's a mind game. You know, it it builds mental resilience.
0: You're making a sacrifice for your tribe, for humanity, and there's lots of temptations to throw you off. And so the coyote plays it out. But I, I have to be honest. I, I just really had a good time. Maybe that's me. I don't have a problem going without food and water for four days. It was Mm. a non-issue. And they did let people drink, um, you know, uh, if they needed to. But I, I was really the only one to go
1: without food and water for four days,
0: for four years.
1: So had you, that, had that, you fasted that, quite a bit before then as well? Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning in to this episode, I want to give you... My number one Amazon best-selling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm sure that. Definitely and so
0: happen. I, and they, uh, so this is about ni- 1998, 99, something like, you know, it's four years, you know, I did a 40 day fast in 1983.
1: 40 day water fast or dry fast?
0: Uh, water and juice.
1: Water juice okay. fast. Wow. 40 days. That's pretty epic. You know, I've, um, a lot of my doctor friends you know functional medicine practitioners you might actually have stories of your own have had cancer patients even stage four cancer yes, patients who yes. go on a 30-day water fast and then their cancer's yes. gone after 30 yeah. days right
0: and actually down in san diego's a, a few clinics that do that right so you know um but i was just doing it to have the experience to understand mm-hmm. what this is about it was my first Believe it or not, it was my first fast.
1: Your first fast was forty days. <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> my I first was my- five my first was five days. <laughs> forty <laughs> days is crazy. Um, you know, there's
0: just a way if I'm gonna learn about fasting, I should just do it.
1: Go all in, right? I hear you.
0: Yeah. So it's a style, you know. Yeah. Same with the Sundance. I mean, they wanted you to be with you know, watch it I say, No way, I'm in. That's awesome. So I want
1: to I want to hear your perspectives on the Essenes, and can you talk a little bit about people who don't know who the Essenes are, their timeline? Because I know the history of the Essenes goes back even from what I've read, like somewhere between 400 and 800 BCE, you know, 800 years before Christ. You know, all the way up until modern day, there are still some practicing Essenes today. But uh, and even there's you know beliefs and and writings and historians that believe you know Jesus came from the Essenes. A lot of what he taught was what he learned from the Essene traditions. I don't know. What are your? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Really interested in the Essenes. I think the teachings I've been reading about are incredible.
0: So the first mention of the Essenes, kind of historically, is uh, about. 500 to 600 B.C., and it said that Pythagoras fasted with the Essenes in the Carmel Mountains, which is close to where I live, okay, and after it was a 40-day fast, and it was a water fast, and he came down enlightened, and then Pythagoras then took, we'll go back to the scenes, then he took these teachings and he began teaching fasting. As you know, the Greeks did a lot of fasting. Okay, so that was the Essenes. He was with the Essenes and he was in that training. So that's our first real historical evidence.
1: Okay. And does he so, are his writings like? Wh- how do we know he was with the Essenes? Like, what evidence do we have? Of it's that? a
0: historical. It's a historical thing from his writings, but the, some of the scene writings too. Mm. It's, it's, it's kind of, nobody disputes that when they put it that way. Um, and it's probably from his writings. Uh, I read it in a variety of different places. Mm. So these scenes were, in a sense, created a lifestyle that led to liberation. They didn't use those words, okay? It was a very pure lifestyle, and uh, they are also warriors. Most people think they're peaceniks, but they were. But when they were fighting the the Greco-Romans, in one sixty seven B.C., the Essenes joined with the Maccabees to fight them because it was challenging their whole way of life you know it was challenging their spiritual way of life and so they were warriors too a lot of people don't don't know that they just idealize them as being for peace
1: yeah i didn't know that
0: and these scenes would carry a sword um and in every town they were all over the middle east they were in damascus they were in lake mariatis in in egypt they were just the whole region, okay. That it's important to understand that, and so wherever there was the village, there was an Essene house, and so they would stay with their own kind, so to speak. Now, their inner core, inner inner core, was like food. Their moderate core was vegan, well, actually vegan vegetarian, um, and those are the kind of the, the different levels of core now they had places again throughout most people think it's at the dead sea well quran is was a one of the places and quran existed again before it was bc okay and it was conquered different ways by the Greeks, and by the Romans, and different more by the Romans. But the Essenes still existed. Now, <clears throat> they broke their life down into kind of study, so they would study four hours a day, meditate, and do that, and do service. And they're also known as healers, and they're also mystics, and they also are known perhaps. Um, for their prophecy they prophesized pretty much everything we see happening
1: i have a question about um the Essenes being you know raw vegan or vegan or vegetarian the inner core
0: inner core not everybody
1: inner core so like how (coughs) how do we know that like where does that come from do you know
0: they're documents. They have lots of, lots of records.
1: So the, was, I know a lot of the records we have of like the Essenes are from the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? They were found in Qumran um, in the cave. cave. I think it was a cave of Qumran, right? Uh, like multiple caves. 60 multiple years caves. ago. Yeah, multiple caves. Are there yeah. other writings from the Essenes that we, that we have that you know of? Or are they well, all from the Dead Sea Scrolls?
0: It's mostly the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, Dr. Seke, who actually was based a little bit in in San Diego, you know, wrote a lot about them. So and he got his history in different ways. He, he, he he's seen Gospel of Peace Book One, Two, Three, and Four. Okay, um, and there's actually a lot of people who have wrote a, written about them historically, and that's why I say the inner core. You know. They they were I think it's safe to say vegetarians a lot of people had dairy because that's your B12 your bacteria and so forth um, but the intercord didn't so they had evolved to a place where they they wouldn't need that
1: yeah they didn't it was basically not um, one of their teachings that I've read is like they don't eat animal flesh is how it was worded right for
0: sure. But it's dairy, is not animal flesh. Right. <coughs> Sorry. You see what I'm saying? Now, they were really mystics. So what? What do I mean? They were mystics. Well, they predicted pretty much everything that's going on today. They talked about World War One, World War Two. They talk about Israel being exiled, then coming back, Mm. pretty much with the dates we've seen, Uh, uh, 2017, 1948, 1917,
1: 1948. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life at HealingLife.net. You get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So... I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net and I hope to see you over there. Now let's get back to the show.
0: And they also, this year, um, uh, 2024, 2025, they predicted we will begin the transition into the thousand years of peace. And they predicted that will start, and that's probably understand what's going on with all the wars and all that around the world we don't want to think the hamas israel thing is the only thing happening it just isn't true but around the world so they predicted they actually predicted spring 2025 will be a 50-year transition into the thousand years of peace but they predicted when israel will be exiled you know you know, at, at the time of Jesus, they predicted the uh, the coming of Jesus, um, and predicted the uh, crucifixion. They uh, Jesus wasn't was not an Essene. He was very friendly with the Essenes. John the Baptist, his cousin, as far as I know, was an Essene. And where he was baptized was right around the corner of the Dead Sea. I've been there. Mm. you know and you can go in the water and then make it put down I just went somewhere else and just did it without any clothes because that's how you do a big fun. so the so all that really did happen historically okay and because they were mystics but they also had the power of prophecy and I want to point that out again they've made a series of very accurate predictions which is what's going on today is part of that um but in 2025 there'll be like seven year cycles of the tribulation some people think it started now with all that's going on but it's more 20 you know the next year or two and it's really going to go into the seven years of tribulation the scenes wrote this they predicted it all Hmm. They predicted, as they say, the birth of Jesus, they they said, and also um, when he was crucified, they did the whole thing. Uh, And that would be a way of understanding them, is that they they were prophetic mystics and uh, they did a lot of mikvahs. A mikvah is a, a ceremonial bath where you do without any clothes and you go in and you let everything loose. You let go of all your negativities and all that. They tend to do, when you go to Qumran, it's like four mikvahs in this small space. I don't know how they, So they were constantly doing mikvahs. They did a, paid a lot of attention to what I would call um
1: mikvas like uh, Hygiene. Like a it's pool, a bath, like a, a ritual bath, a ritual, a ritual bath,
0: right? Where you go in without any clothes, and you don't touch the bottom. You're actually like as if you're in the womb, mm. okay? And they would have seven steps down. I mean, I've been there a bunch of times. Seven steps down, and, and, and then you would do it, and you you just don't touch the bottom. And so they would do that several times a day. They're focused a lot on cleanliness, ritual cleanliness. Where they went to the bathroom was almost a hike from Khamran. It was like a thousand yards away. Hmm. So there was a particular place where you, you would go. The so you could <laughs> keep you
1: know, it away right? from where you live and where you bath and uh, where you where yeah. you eat. That's pretty intelligent. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So they had a, a, a sense of hygiene, and they would. Uh, this is all desert, so they would bury it. Yeah. Now there are also caves where people found the Kuban scrolls. I've been in them. They don't let you go anymore, but this is years ago when I was there and the 1990s, you know, something like that. And one cave, which is right above you, you got to climb up. Okay. But we took a whole group and in the cave, um, when we owned, it was like C-sharp tone. In other words, somehow people with good ears, they could do a C-sharp. It was the same pitch as in the Pyramid. You know, when you go in the King's Pyramid and yep. you go in-
1: They measure the frequency C- of it.
0: Yeah. So that was kind of remarkable. Interesting. But there were more, more than one cave. There's a bunch of caves. So the scrolls are in all different kind of places.
1: Now, now Qumran, the caves are in, they're by the West Bank of Israel, right? Is that right?
0: Qumran is on the West Bank too.
1: Yeah, Qumran, that's right. If you really look at
0: it, so the caves, understand that Qumran, going up to the cave is, 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 I don't know, 100 yards. It's just here's Qumran and there's the cave. So it's about a, maybe a 100 yards away, maybe less. And then you have to climb up. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they're not really separate. I mean, the main caves are not separate.
1: Mm, so they're not separate from the West Bank, is what you're saying. They're part of West Bank. The whole area is West Bank gotcha
0: yeah we don't use that term with Judea and Samaria it's what we're talking about Mm. just the way the geography is cut okay now you have the Jordan River coming down and I have to tell you it's a little confusing to me the Jordan River divides you know uh, uh and one side is Jordan so where Jesus took his Mikvah with John the Baptist that's the borderline mm. that's right there but I guess the way it was carved out Quran technically I'm going to say technically is in Judea Samaria practically there's one road that kind of goes down and it, it is it, it's considered Israel proper but technically it it is Judeo-Samaria. Does that make sense?
2: hmm
0: But people don't treat it that way. It's just part of Israel. There's just this road you go down that you know that that follows it down. It's along <clears throat> it's along the Dead Sea.
1: One of the other things I I have really enjoyed learning about. Uh, with the Essenes lately, is their spiritual practices like the morning, like their practices for every day of the week, uh, you know, the Sabbath, and then they have the, I think it's called the Great Sabbath, which is like every seventh Sabbath. Um, and there's, you know, in the morning practices, the noon practices, the the evening practices, basically the spiritual practices. It's like the meditation, the, and each each one has a very specific focus and connection of peace focus on peace, peace with, you know, like your body, peace with the earth, peace with community. And so there's these specific kind of meditative type practices that that you do in the morning, at noon and at night. And, um, I've been, you know, kind of practicing them little by little as I do, you know, my own kind of Qigong practice, which has very similar, um, aspects of what the Essenes were practicing. And, uh, I find it really powerful in like such a, beautiful practice to to implement, um, to think about, to meditate on, to visualize, because anytime we can focus on peace, peace in ourselves and our lives, peace for the world, the planet, peace for our families, for community. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse, and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the Panacea Cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight, and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out. If you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse, it's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. You know, I think we, as you talk about spiritual liberation, you know, liberating ourselves beyond the anger, the resentment, the fear, the jealousy, these kind of lower vibration energies that keep us, Stuck and afraid and, and feeling terrible in our lives. Um, and I find those practices to be actually really powerful.
0: Yeah. So, so what I'm going to say is the seeds left the, uh, basically Temple Mount because they, they, there are three groups. There's the seeds, Pharisees, and Sadducees. The Pharisees were still doing animal sacrifice that didn't work for these scenes so they left Mm. how far is it from jerusalem maybe 45 minutes a car not far away okay but you have to go over a mountain and you you don't get water but twice a year it rains and when it rains it floods so uh, actually that's why they don't want you to go up to the the caves anymore i'm going to get to your point i'm just Sharing a little bit more because these floods have come and people have drowned. They get washed away because the floods are very strong. A flood in a desert, you know, only rains twice a year, is a powerful event. Okay. And all their cisterns would get filled up from those floods that would happen twice a year. So they had a lot of cisterns to hold the water. So their big thing is collection of water. Because the Dead Sea is very salty. I mean, really salty. Okay. I mean, I've been swimming in it. It's okay, you float, you know, but you don't want to open your eyes under the water. It's very uncomfortable. Okay. That being said, the traditional practice are three sets of prayers, praying three times a day in the Jewish tradition. Okay? I don't have to give the names. I'm just saying there's the morning prayer, mid-afternoon, and evening prayer. Now, the Essenes took that, but they also, as you say, began to do the communions, is the term that's used, the Essene communities,
1: you're, you're, you're saying the Essenes took those prayers from Judaism?
0: No. I'm no, saying no. they, there's a crossover. Mm. Three times a day, it's normal to do prayers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody does that, you know, who, who are practicing. These scenes then added the morning communions and the evening communions, which is what you were talking about. hmm. Now, did they actually add that, or did Dr. Seike add that? We don't know that for sure. Mm. So I want to be a little careful of saying what's an Essene practice. And now, I've talked to Dr. Seike's uh, second wife, who lives in Canada now. And Seike also had a home in Mexico. She seemed to imply that he he had some literary leeway as he did this but and and it's clear he took it from um more of the sumerian practices but the sumerian had eight morning and eight evening so he can condense it into the the seven uh, morning prayers and seven evening prayers and added it to it, and it's a really good thing for people to do, just like you mentioned. So, but I can't tell you that's what these things did. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Mm. When you say Doctor Seke, how do you spell Doctor Seke? S
0: Z E K E Y.
1: Now, the, oh, right. that's that's basically that's isn't that Edmund Bordeaux? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you call it doctors? Yeah, I know him by Edmund Bordeaux, and I'm like. I don't know Dr. Seiki, but yeah, that's his. It's class. Edmund
0: Bordeaux Seiki. Okay, got it. And so he kind of romanticized them in a certain way. But I'm not saying what he said wasn't true, but I'm also saying, you know, maybe he elaborated a little bit. Mm. And I'm pretty sure the communions were taken from the Samaritan, the communions. That's pretty well established, so I can't tell you that's in the practice.
1: And Sumerians go back how how far do do we know? Probably four thousand years. Okay. And those were practiced similar practices that they had.
0: Yeah. Remember, everybody's from the area, so to speak. Mm. If, if that makes sense. So they had the morning and evening convenience. Um, and you're, and it,
1: just, just for people who are listening, I don't think we mention it. You're uh, a rabbi, right? Aren't, aren't you an ordained rabbi? Or um... Yes. Right, okay. So, I mean, you have a lot of experience. Just so people know, you have a lot of experience is what you're talking about.
0: Right. Um, and what the did was did was, let's say, more spiritual in that way, but they created a way of life. You mentioned that, you know, is is leading a way of life that leads to liberation. So they did all these communions. They got them in touch with the earth. They got in touch with the social setting. And so it brought them into contact with all of creation. And that was, I think, an important part of their story, so to speak. And they were more nature-oriented than the Pharisees. And they clearly were against animal sacrifice. Mm. Um, And I think those are the important things. Now, the last of the Essenes was driven out by the Romans. And um, they're different stories, but basically Qumran was was destroyed and and taken over and destroyed by the Romans. So that was kind of the end of the history. The, The scene history, there was scenes that went to Tibet, and scenes that went to Africa, and scenes that went here, and they took the skulls and took all the information with them. And so there was an Essene that eventually came back in the Middle Ages and helped start the first medical school in Italy.
1: Oh, really? Who was that? Yeah. Constantine the
0: Essene. But he had escaped to Africa, and then, or his Essenes were there, and then he comes from Africa, and helps, I think, in the 12th century. I don't have exactly have the right century of God, but I think it's the 12th century, or 11th century, starts the first medical school in Europe.
1: Now, this is not the same Constantine that was part of the organizing, the Bible as we know it, at Constantinople. No, 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 no. Okay.
0: This is Constantine the Essene from Africa.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Totally different person. And so, a lot of the healing... Consciousness was carried on for the Essenes into European medieval medicine. I think that's an important little, so their energy is going on, as well as the Essenes scrolls showing up in Tibet. So they were forced to flee and send this, and also India. And there's stories of Jesus in India. Maybe he was. Maybe it was John. I don't know. There were uh, clearly this group was in India because India is a. uh, Qumran is on the way to India.
1: Right. It was. It was actually a. um, It was. It was pretty traveled. It was well traveled by people from India when you look at the history of it. It was a uh, like a trade route that was pretty common. Actually, correct.
0: Correct, and that's the road that I'm talking about.
1: And there's a there's a town. Yeah, and there's a town in India. People can find this. I remember seeing this years ago, where they actually uh, along that route, they have like a temple where they um, or shrine where they honor somebody there who they consider their kind of master teacher from two thousand years ago, uh, who looks exactly like Jesus. And yes. that's where yes. that story comes from is like a part of, you know, there's a lot of people who think, okay, Jesus went to India, got trained by, you know, the, the, the master teachers there and taught there and then, you know, came back to uh, Israel and so forth. And that's, and it's yeah. really interesting that that shrine is there of someone who looks exactly like Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of interesting.
0: Um. The, the training of jesus you know um really began you know when you're 13 in those age you were an adult really so he was trained uh really until he was 30. and then that's when he begins three years of his 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 teachings Um, i'm not sure he really went to india but some people feel he was trained in the more Pythagorean and um, some of the mystics out of uh Europe?
1: I have a I have a question for you. It's kind of slightly off topic, but I'm interested because I don't know the answer. Um in Judaism is you know in Christianity for example, Jesus is believed to be basically the incarnation of God, you know, the one and only. Um and uh, incarnated in a physical body to come and basically free everybody from their sins and, you know, that whole story of Christianity. In Judaism, is Jesus basically a a human being who is a spiritual teacher and leader, uh, a son of God, as all people are sons of God, or is he the incarnation of God? Like Christianity. He's
0: really seen as a son of God and as a teacher. Again, the Essenes, in detail, actually predicted when he would come on the scene, okay? And before him, there was another Messianic care, uh, person in, uh, about 40 years before that. And so every generation, there's a Messianic character not seen as God, but seen as the teacher of that generation. Mm. So Jesus was clearly seen in the Jewish thing as the teacher of that decade or that generation. So he was highly respected, if you get what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, but nobody is seen as God. That would, you know, that's called, you shouldn't have any idols before you. And uh, there's only God. Now, does the energy of God incarnate in different ways? Well, I think it's true. Everybody has pieces that. So in each generation, it's prophesized that a Messianic energy would come.
1: Yeah, like I believe that we all have that spark of God within us. Yeah, right. That's emanating the exactly. light within us. Not not one of us is God, but right. we are. You know, and a, a, you know, as as even says in the in the Bible or in the spiritual texts. Um, uh Oh, the quote. I just lost the quote now. Um, but basically, in the image of God, made in the likeness of God. Right. right? Well, we yeah, are not God, exactly. but in the likeness of God.
0: Man, woman, made in the likeness of God. Made in the image, and image is the energy field of God. Yep. And so that's a, the Jewish belief. That's a basic belief that most people had. And for the first 200 years, that was the belief in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what changed in Christianity? People need need to have those things. So initially, Jesus never said that. Initially, it was 200 years before they began saying, he's God incarnate. Really? It didn't happen right away. Hmm. So I think that's an important piece in the the story uh, in that.
1: I I have another question on that. In the differences between Judaism and Christianity is, like, um, Jesus died for our sins, right? That's a common Christian belief that, um, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus and you repent for your sins, then you will have a chance to go to heaven at the end of this life. Um, and, but he died on the cross for your sins, which to me personally, I mean, I respect everybody's beliefs and traditions, but to me that doesn't make any sense. And I'm curious what, how Judaism looks at that, or if it does at all
0: well let's talk about a slightly different way um because it's a very good question so in every generation the messiah comes i use the word messianic figure comes is a human being and does take some of the karma for that generation
2: Mm.
0: now in the hindu tradition same thing. So, in my tradition of Siddha Yoga, you, you, the, the person giving Shakti, about the awakening energy does take on not all the karma, but does take on karma of that person and burns it up.
1: You're like transmutating basically the, the negative energy from Correct. that person. illness. But not all of it.
0: Not all of it, but a lot of it. So that's taught in different traditions. There's nothing uh, exceptional about that, and so it was taught with the Messianic figures that it's taught that Messianic figures come every generation, and they do take on some of, I'm going to use a Eastern term, some of the karma for that generation. That's, but some of the karma. There's a specific formula in the Torah, which is how you burn up your karma. I use that word because it's a common term, okay? They don't use the word karma, but called missing the mark. You miss the mark. Okay. And that formula is acknowledge that you missed the mark, called I sinned, Two, commit to not, Understand why you missed the mark, because you have to understand the cause. You have to get the causal level, otherwise, you keep doing it. And then commit not to do it again, and finally repent for that.
1: Now, that's from the Torah directly.
0: Yeah. And that's the formula that everyone clears themselves of sin. Mm. That's a given. If you just do those steps, that's what does it. Pretty much in different traditions, it's, that's the, the process. Yeah. Now, in Jesus' time, that was still the process. It was never taught that a messiah takes on everything. But I, I was empowered by Swami Muktananda to give what we call Shaktipat, to awaken the of Kundalini. When you're doing that, so you give it you are taking on people's karma okay not all of it but you're taking on some and so i had people check because looked took people's things and it affected him so i said well if i'm going to do this let's see so i had people could see the aura and i basically burn it up which i'm very grateful for so my karma my aura is very strong to burning it up when you give the shakti but you're taking on their stuff Do you see what i'm saying so this is not just something about Judaism or Christianity. It's uh, you know, it's it's Hindu. It's in other words, it's a process people kind of get.
1: Well, there's a Tibetan. Um, I forget what it's called. A Tibetan spiritual practice as well that's very similar. Yeah. You absorb the gray light, the gray energy coming from somebody, and you transmutate it through the you know the white yellow light coming in, and you send that back to them. You're basically transmutating. Right their yeah. negative energy yeah
0: i think most of the spiritual traditions do not have something like that is what what my understanding is and so i'm saying that this that that then got transmuted when you say jesus got that he takes away everything everything's cool but the laws of karma are you have to earn it you have to do your work yeah and the messianic figure of that time will do that Now, these scenes have predicted that somewhere 24, 25, 2024, 2025, for the next seven years, a Messianic figure will again appear to do that. And they have also predicted the coming of a false Messiah, who will do miracles and do things. But you still have the spiritual responsibility to do the work yourself, and that was in Jesus's time. That's why that wasn't taught. He just took everything as a messianic figure. He took some. Low, c- certainly, and, have the,
1: and it makes sense. It makes more sense to me now, like where that even came from and how you know taking the karma from. You know, and for people who don't use the word karma or understand or whatever, it's just it's just action, reaction. It's just energy. Right. It's, it's thought. It's just what you put into the world. You get back. It's a law of the universe, the law of attraction, whatever you right. want to call it. We know it exists. I mean, there's like anyone who pays attention to life at any level, you know this exists. Exactly. You, you think bad. You act bad. You steal. You rob. You cheat. You do all these things. You're going to live a really bad life. You're going to get all that negativity back. Yes. You know, you in, think good, you heal, you love others, you're generous, you're kind, you're caring. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have some challenges in life, but you're going to get a lot more of that good energy back to you. It's just the way yeah. it works.
0: In Hebrew, it's uh, "midad kineged midad," measure for measure. Mm. Just what you said, and that's the law of karma. So there's nothing new here. What I'm trying to say that people, because of their lesser level of understanding of these processes, then suddenly make Jesus as God, and he takes on all your sins, and it's not the way it's meant to work. Around the world, it's not the way it's meant to work. Now, some people believe that, okay, but the Torah te- clearly teaches you do it, and the early Christianity clearly taught it, and Jesus clearly taught it. So, that's the key, and he never taught that he was God. There will be, a mes- according to the Essenes, They say there will be a messianic figure showing up, the counterpoint, the antichrist figure, all happening in the next seven years. That's the seed predictions, prophecy.
1: Now these are prophecies that were written and with with dates on them and everything.
0: Yes, two thousand years ago. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. That's what's remarkable.
1: Now where can someone go read these prophecies?
0: Well, they're all over the place. So they're not all in one place,
2: hmm.
0: you know. Uh, so that's a a little bit of a, a problem because it. But they're there. Uh, I've read them in all different places. That's why I can't give you kind of a. Mm-hmm. Here's the list of prophecies.
1: Like, are they in Edmund Bordeaux's books? I know he's got like a hundred. He's got like fifty books on the Essenes or something. There's, he's got a yeah, bunch.
0: I don't actually. Th- think they are mm. I think we have the revelations of John I think uh, actually a lot of them are in those prophecies so uh I think uh some of the other Dead Sea Skulls you know prophecies are there I'll put it that way um there is uh I just heard about it today, but uh, Skywatch TV, I don't know if you ever heard of them. It's a kind of, it's a Christian group. They just gave a whole list of prophecies that these scenes made. Really? And they just, big, big, big. So I actually went to get, I sent away for the book (laughs) so I could see exactly all the dates. But they were known prophetically. That's what they did so they really gave dates i think it's important to really get they actually gave dates when these things would happen hmm.
1: that's that's pretty amazing so
0: yeah because usually you have a prophecy and this is going to happen when next year 10 years 20 years you know they actually were very specific
1: what was that what was the book so the so the skywatch tv put out a book that has the dates there's some
0: authors there's some authors okay Uh, do you
1: know the name of the book
0: well it was in a bunch of little books but uh let me just think for a second i think tom horn who who just died uh it's in some of his uh works um but if you look they're offering actually a whole group of books on sale so they're right now like today um and that uh set has a lot of the prophecies so <coughs> i'm going to check it out
1: if you find if you find out i mean when you find out more about it, if you can email me and then maybe we can add it in the show notes um now, these okay. are prophecies from the Essenes or from this Christian group that you mentioned? From
0: the Essenes. Okay. Who did the research.
1: Yeah, I'd love to know like what the titles of the yeah. books are. I'm sure people would, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd like to read them. I know others would yeah. probably like to read them, too. You know,
0: my, uh, because I haven't read them, for sure. Gotcha. I can't say I stand behind them. Right, right. But they are saying, this is the time you know uh for for example one of the prophecies that it would be 2025 on the first day of pesach which is uh eight day holiday that will be the beginning of this uh 50 year cycle going into a thousand years of peace mm. so that's a in two years
1: into a thousand years of peace that'd be pretty cool
0: <laughs> well that's what's being you know, I, I think that's there, and and that's one of the prophecies.
1: I mean, do you think that's really possible with all the war and chaos and tumultuousness that's going on around the world today? I mean, you're in you're living in Israel. I mean, you're living in the middle of a basically a war right now. Um, what? Well, two questions: What is that like? And also. Yeah, do you think a 1,000 years of peace is possible? And, and if so, how do we get there?
0: So I think when you learn that you're really off base, you know, look around the world, you know, go to Sudan. Thousands of people have been killed there. And Sudan is a different tribal thing going on. You know, you, you have what's Hamas, and Hamas is in kind of mythical, is Amalek, who has always been attacking Israel. Okay. Nothing new here. Amalekos attacked people at the time when Moses left uh, Egypt. Um, so what I'm saying is, is, is that this stuff goes on. So what happens? If it gets really bad, enough, sometimes people wake up. So the feeling is that things are going to get really bad and people will wake up and say, we don't really need to live this way. If you see what I'm saying, we don't really need to be this way and there'll be a a spiritual transformation, maybe from the trauma of how bad they get. That's what I would say. Um, I have to be honest, where I live in Israel, it happens that we're, things, life is pretty normal here. Um, They have pictures of the hostages that are kind of in the the square of where we live but um and there's no rockets here and there's no uh they're still shooting rockets near tel aviv because one of my assistants is they still have to deal with that you know but where we lived we're just far enough from the northern border and from gaza that we're kind of not so touched so that's kind of what's going on it's more like a a, the meaning of terrorism it's affecting people's psyche if you get what I'm saying now what that means it means people pray a lot more
2: Mm. so
0: that's how we go into the thousand years of peace so and we need to understand that there at some point under buddhism in india there was a king ashoka you may or may not have heard of him but he brought like 150 years of peace because he applied the buddhist principles and they, they worked everybody was happy and then then people started to lose their conscience. you know he didn't live for 150 years but you know he created but there was it was a time of peace in a, in a huge area, kind of India and part of the Middle East. King Ashoka, look that up. You see, it's possible. So you need that leadership, but you also need enough trauma that you just don't, that's it. We've got to stop being this way.
1: Right. I mean, that is, that is a true, that's kind of what I was referring to earlier with the Native American Sundance. It's like once you've, and for you that wasn't suffering for some people i think it's a lot of suffering you know yeah. um like a you know running an ultra marathon uh is it's suffering there's there's you know yeah. the first half of the ultra marathon that i ran the first half was pure bliss and fun and the second half was pure suffering <laughs> and total pain and yet coming out of that i felt accomplished i felt um elevated i felt i i had gained like a whole new sense of self-awareness, self-confidence, self-love, just, you know, and and so many people have ran way longer and way more ultra marathons than I have, um, you know, talk in depth about this, but I had that one experience where it was just through that suffering, you have this breakthrough of just eternal like gratefulness and peace and self-confidence and assurance in ways that, um, you know, you, I think you can get... I know you can get through meditation. I know you can get through other spiritual practices that don't require suffering. I know that because I've also experienced that firsthand. But there is something special about the suffering that then saying, hey, enough with the suffering, like when it comes to war and violence and fighting and hate, hatred and anger and all of this. Enough with that. I'm tired of living this way. Like addiction in my life. Like I was over it. I was like, I'm so tired of... Being addicted right. to drugs and alcohol and destroying myself and right. being unhealthy and being sick, I want to do something about it. And then that's what I got at 18 years old in 2005. Got 100% committed to learning everything I possibly could about health and transforming my life, and have been ever since. Yes. So there is something very powerful. That's how I
0: theorize. That's how I theorize it. That people have the seven years tribulation, like that's enough.
2: <laughs> I
0: that's so. enough. Yeah. So you know that's how honestly how i how i look at it um so even though it's bad in the moment i kind of see the bigger picture and again the scenes did prophesize all this you know so it's not so new they also prophesized the return to israel well, there's three returns in 1948, and then you have 1947, 48, and then you have 1917, and then really around the turn of the century in the 1890s. Like the town I live in was established in 1892, Zikor and the memory of Yakov. So, you know, people have been here a while, uh, and so that's all what's going on, you know.
1: What made you want to move to Israel? You were living, you had a retreat center in Arizona, yeah. which I had you know, been there, stayed there for like a week, I think. Um, beautiful retreat center there in Patagonia, Arizona. Uh, you basically sold that and packed up. Uh, this was a few years back, right? This was probably three about three years, three years ago, moved to Israel. Yeah, what was, I mean, talk about timing. <laughs> you know, what was the impetus to move to, uh, to move to Israel?
0: well life has its cycles and I knew when I started the center I knew somewhere around 24 years that we would do another cycle that's how I put it my work is actually more international rather than in Israel but it puts me in a place where I have there's five countries we have diabetes programs and organic veganic farming programs. We have over fifty organic veganic uh farms in Cameroon. We have programs in Ghana. We have programs in uh Nigeria. You know, so that's easy. Boom. Tel Aviv Ababa yeah. in Ethiopia where we have some programs. You see what I'm saying? You know, and then I also have programs in Europe. So I'm you know I go there and lecture so it kind of broadens the base if you get what I'm saying and we wanted this experience Uh, we just felt that was really we're drawn to it and again prophecy is people will return the scenes also talk about that and we just felt it was the right time you know of, of being part of that prophetic movement that's how I, how I
1: would talk about it. Well, if you want to talk about you being in the right place at the right time of uh, someone who is helping transmutate you know, negative energy into spiritual energy, healing energy, I mean, you're in the right place at the right time for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your energy and your prayer being there directly uh, yeah. is probably a good place to, to really help out.
0: Yeah. And you know, you don't know that till it unfolds. You just know you're supposed to go. Yeah. And and I've always tried to live in that way of let's keep with with the door open, you're supposed to go, you're supposed to go. You know it. Yep. The divine will is guiding you and and you just have to go with that. It may not look convenient, but you need to go with it. That's that's how I see it. Um, and that's how Shanti, my wife sees it as well we just knew it was time to go you know so that's kind of uh you know the, the subtlety of that mm. now we also it is true that Tel Aviv has more vegan restaurants than anywhere in the world and it has the biggest vegan I didn't say live food I said vegan population of anywhere in the world
1: really yeah well why why is that why do you think that is i think it has
0: something to do with um meat isn't really so kosher anymore the way it's prepared how the animals are grown i also think that it is um
1: so it's easier to be vegan instead of because it's, it's hard to yeah it's hard to get kosher yeah but the other
0: thing is that the original God-eaten Diet was
1: vegan. Original what diet? Garden of Eden diet. Oh, Garden of Eden diet. Yeah. Well, even yeah, even in Genesis in the Bible it says, "I give you the plants for your food," right? And then it's not till after Noah and the Ark and the floods that <clears> then <throat> basically you know the the lands were wiped out, and then says, "Okay, now you can eat you know some of the animals." As a back.
0: dispensation for the moment, not
1: the, as That's how I look at it. It was for the moment, right? It was like, okay, if that happens, you don't have access to plants, you have animals, eat the animals. But, you know, do you, if, if, if originally the plants were meant for our lives, uh, according to the religious text, then it goes without saying we can go back once the plants thrive again, because they grow back very quickly... Then you can go back to eating.
0: That was the concept. And so Moses Maimonides, a great rabbi and uh, physician, 11th and 12th century, basically said, we are supposed to move back to the original diet. And the dispensation was only because of the situation, if you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the teaching. So a lot of people are, are, you know, pinned that way put it that way um so that's kind of what I I see is part of what goes on it's just part of the culture here I mean there is Barcelona is is a in Europe is the biggest vegan city okay and Sao Paulo huge population and it probably has uh 10 percent of its population is vegan and that's about 3 million people wow so there are vegan centers but percentage-wise Israel has the highest percentage of vegans as a nation but it's also a small population it's not like Sao Paulo it's got mil- literally millions of people who are vegan and I wanted, I gave a lecture once in uh, in Brazil And it was only doctors. There was 200 doctors there, and all were vegan. Can you imagine that in the United States, giving lecture to 200 doctors are all vegan?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty rare. I think it's, I think one percent of the population. If I'm, if I'm correct, I might be wrong. One percent of the population is like vegetarian in the U.S. And it's, I think it's smaller that's vegan, or maybe it's one percent that's vegan. I have to look it up.
0: I think it's 3% is vegan and about 8% who are vegetarian. Something like that.
1: Okay. According to recent studies, about 3% of Americans identify themselves as vegan. Okay, there we go. 3%. I Maybe it's 1% worldwide. No, I don't know. Well, yeah, it depends. Which, If you look up at a Gallup poll, they say 4% is vegetarian, 1% is vegan. I think that's what I saw. But if you look at another poll, it says 3% are vegan, more are vegetarian. Either way. I mean still millions of people um but it's not a large percentage
0: so but relatively speaking in this show, i think it's three to four percent are vegan 8.6 percent are vegetarian something like that um,
1: now you when i mean we've talked at, about this at length in lots of other interviews i've done with you but i mean you're Background for decades as a medical doctor and a holistic physician has been helping your patients. Primarily, your specialties in diabetes, but you've worked with patients obviously with all kinds of chronic diseases. Is helping people reverse type two diabetes on a but they're
0: really all chronic disease you know? right?
1: Right on a plant-based diet, on a v on a lie, on a raw food vegan diet. You have a documentary that um, is called "There Is a Cure for Diabetes," I think. Where you well, followed, isn't that it, your documentary?
0: Um, it, it's basically, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Um,
1: I think it's called There is a Cure for Diabetes. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think people can, can get it on Amazon, if I remember. Yeah. Uh, where they followed your patients at your, at your retreat center, right, for like 30 days, and basically you had a high percentage of people reverse type 2 diabetes. 61
0: percent cured from type 2 diabetes who weren't on insulin and uh about 25 21 percent were cured who were on insulin in three weeks three weeks so they oh, cured after that if you're on insulin it just took longer than three weeks but in three weeks 61 percent were cured who weren't on insulin, but who were
1: diabetic. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, your your book title is There is a Cure for Diabetes. That's your right. book. That's your book. Right. Okay. Right. So the DV the documentary, I thought it was had the same title, but uh, right. uh, do you know what it is?
0: It stuck my mind. It's, it's been a while. It was 2007.
1: Um, I'll find it really check quick because... I think you can still watch it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, the point is this is a way of life that makes you stronger, more flexible, easier to meditate. So at age 80, I'm doing, well, yesterday I did 1900 push ups. You
1: did 1900 yeah. push ups in one day? One time. At once, unbroken? Unbroken, yeah. 1900? Do you do this every day? No, every three days. You do 1900 unbroken every three days. Well, I was
0: doing 2000, but after I went to New Zealand, I kind of (laughs) traveled a lot. I kind of went down, and then I, you know.
1: Can you film this for me and send it to me? I want to put it in this podcast. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. People won't believe it if they don't see it. Most people can't do 10 push-ups. Even really fit people can barely do 50 or 100. If you do 1900 unbroken push-ups, are you kidding me? Like, it's going to be insane. If people see that. they won't believe it if they don't see it. I'll you, it sounds unbelievable.
0: Yeah, the, the problem is I'm not really set up to to photograph it right now and to video it.
1: Um, <laughs> just, just turn on your zoom and hit record and then do it, do your pushups there on the floor and just put your camera down and, and uh, and send it to me like that, if you can. <laughs> it would be amazing. I'd really want to see it, actually. And I think a lot of people would be really inspired by it. If you can do it somehow, it'd be awesome. Okay, I'll play with it and see. Okay. And we can speed it up. I'll have my editor, like, you know, the first hundred will just leave, and then you can speed up the rest so they can see all 1900. That I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. Seriously. 80 years old, raw food vegan, 40-plus years and you know still doing 1900 push-ups unbroken like that's it's it truly is incredible and unbelievable most people there are so many doctors online today saying oh raw food vegan is terrible for you to kill you it's the worst diet in the world there's a lot of people that believe that i mean i did raw 100% raw vegan for a year and then i went back to cook food and i've been you know vegan for 13 years now i think 13 plus years um but not raw food, you know, uh, this whole time. I only did 100% raw food for a year. Obviously, we eat raw food every day, but not 100%. I mean, that's, that's a whole other level. It's just a yes. whole so other the, level of commitment.
0: The way I would talk about it, we're, we're not 100%, we are like 99%. Mm-hmm. You
1: know?
0: I don't want to get stuck and I have to be that way. Yeah. Uh, but gotcha. the key to success is, is that we are unique. Biochemical individuals. And you have to design, when you're going vegan like that, vegan-like food, you have to design the diet to your type, to your constitution. Some people need more protein. Some people need less protein. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. So, uh, when I was at some point in the 60s, uh, I got stuck. I couldn't do 25 uh, I could do 25 pull-ups okay and all I did is I said okay you're not getting your protein I was getting eight percent I went to 12 percent I took a big tablespoon of spirulina or e3 live and with that that was just a little bit I needed to go to 100. you see what I'm saying so to be successful you really have to do trial and error and to have to be very thoughtful at the level we're talking
1: So, and is is it mostly protein, or is it other, you know, you know, micronutrients, macronutrients that that people need to understand for their success? Well,
0: the way I've looked at it, I'm looking. You have protein, you have carbohydrate. You know, you you you, people need a combination of those. So some people need uh, a diet that's 10% protein. Other people will have a diet that's 30% protein. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yep. You have to find the right diet for you. And that's the important key. But it's not usually not more than 30% or 35% protein. Okay, and then you have fat, then you have carbohydrate, and you have to have the right mix. But usually protein and fat go together. You have more protein and fat, less carbohydrate. My constitution is more leafy greens, vegetables, and few nuts and seeds. Not that much fat, not that much protein, and more leafy greens. You see what I'm
1: saying here? So you have more. So you have higher carbohydrates.
0: Yeah, that's thirty percent of the population.
1: On your constitution, what are you basing the constitution on? Is this Ayurvedic principles, or is this where's the constitution coming from? What does that mean?
0: Well, I have, there's three different principles, one is Orivedic, okay, one is kind of researchers did in the 1930s that kind of understood the relationship of fat and protein to each other, those are the, I'm going to say, the two main kind of things. I use the Ayurvedic a lot because it's simpler for people to get, and we use what we call the sattic diet which is more spiritual diet but that doesn't tell you about the protein that tells you about the kind of diet you know so uh so really i use uh a variety of researchers in the 1930s that they kind of mapped out how we need a higher protein and some people need a lower protein you know people are arguing you know, how much fat how much protein how much cholesterol you know and it doesn't work that way that's the point i'm making and there's just a variety of research that really talked to that issue if you see what i'm saying now and we have to understand our constitutional uh tendencies <clears throat> that's kind of that important thing and I, I talk about it in my You know um spiritual nutrition the rainbow diet i I talk about in actually the diabetes book too
1: there's a cure for diabetes because if
0: you don't understand your constitution you can't really get
1: optimum the rainbow rainbow diet that book that you wrote um 86 yeah yeah i think i have a copy of it you you talk about it in depth in that book
0: yeah, but more in-depth in my book, Spiritual,
1: Spiritual book Nutrition. Spiritual Nutrition. Actually, I, have a, I do have a copy of that book.
0: Yeah, and also Conscious Eating.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I have Conscious Parenting, too.
0: Yes, and I talk about it Conscious Parenting as well.
1: Trying to be a conscious parent, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's... It's, it's, uh, it's very important. It's a labor of love, I'll tell you that much.
0: It's very important. I support a lot of parents in doing it. So I'm, I'm more of a grandfather, even with three teenage granddaughters.
1: Mm.
0: You know, it's how oh, you by work.
1: the way, I found the, I want to mention this for people. I found the documentary. It's called Simply Raw, Reversing Simply. Diabetes in 30 Days. And it is on, you can buy the DVD on Amazon, but it looks like they also stream it on Gaia, Gaia TV um which i have a membership there it's like eight bucks a month or something like that okay
0: good for some reason it's up my mind because i haven't referred to it for a long time yeah going past it anyways
1: well um i mean i'd love to talk to you for another two hours i know we're coming up on our time right now um this has been uh, pretty awesome. I do want to, you know, to kind of wrap here a little bit. Um, you're, I mean, you said in Israel right now, you're living, you know, kind of away from any of the, you know, the, any of the war that's going on. So you're not and really. immediate
0: bombing and immediate rockets are reaching where we live.
1: But what are you, I mean. In terms of what you've seen, people you've talked to living there, you know, what, what is your overall sense of what's going on? And also, like, what are your thoughts about what can be done? I mean, you know, Americans over here, I think, are being told all kinds of different things. Some of it probably true, some of it probably partially true, some of it probably false. And you know people are taking sides and they're you know it's causing even fighting over here not war but just you know people attacking each other over here um over what's going on over there and so i don't know any kind of words of wisdom you want to share with us well, I, I think up? If
0: we, we understand it's part of prophecy that this is a this is the time when all this is going on and it will cl- begin to clear in the next e- few years right. Hamas is prophesized, okay you know and these wars are kind of prophesized in, in the struggle before people wake up so I take a very optimistic point of view that while we're, well, we're now reaching a place where people are going to have to wake up and pay attention to how we're living and how we're treating each other so that's how I I see it in Israel my impression Is that it's created a sense of uh existential vulnerability Mm. you know you know not like people are freaked out but it's an existential vulnerability it's like wow this could really get out of hand but it's not going to you know the prophecy is israel will get through this and begin to wake up and become more spiritual in the process you know again trials and tribulations and this game with hamas and i say it a game it's a lethal game but again it's part of prophecy it's just like so what's new i mean this started when moses left you know uh egypt they were attacked the stragglers were attacked you know so and this is going on and on and on. So it it's not uh, it's a it's a very sad situation, and I see it as a potential for people waking up.
1: Well, I mean, the sad part obviously is like the civilians in both. I mean, the Palestinian civilians, Israeli civilians, like children getting murdered, blown up, taken hostage. Right, like these are people that have nothing to do with this war and want nothing to do with it. And yet they're kind of stuck in the middle of it being killed and murdered and, and destroyed, you know, because right. of the differing ideologies and every, everything that I don't know behind what's really going on. <clears throat> and
0: you see this going on over the world. They just highlight it because was always a sinner. Look at Sudan. You got a lot more people killed. Do mm. you see what I'm trying to say? Uh, You see massacres and these things happening all over the world. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm just trying to make a point that we're we're not the only ones having this kind of thing. This is just part of the world chaos, okay, that in a sense, the global leaders are are creating. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I don't think this... A particular accident. Mm. You know, a lot of people in Israel are, are like, "How is it, where we claim if even a bird lands on the wall, you would know it? How is it for seven hours nobody showed up?"
1: And they okay. were they were literally like driving, you know, bulldozers and motorbikes yeah. and things like through the fences. That you can see images of that and like apparently Israel has like one of the best weapons defense systems, uh, in the world. And somehow it it missed all of that.
0: Yeah. And there were 40 breakthroughs of the fence. There weren't one
2: Mm.
0: 40 different places in the whole length of Gaza where the fence was broken. Not one. It's like, what? Okay. And why did it take seven hours? Is, uh, Tel Aviv is like an hour and a half to two hours from there. Okay? You can almost walk there in seven hours. So, what happened? There's just more going on than we understand. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's why I call it more prophetic. But a lot of people are, in Israel are asking the question how is that possible? They broke the fence in 40 places? they broke through not one I say many people think there's one place they all went to how did that happen how did nobody get notified how did it take seven hours when everything is so small that's like ridiculous so those are questions that are part of the bigger picture that are unanswered at this moment will be answered mm. people are asking that question more seriously now so uh, it's just you know a, a huge tragedy in terms of human um, we look at how is it that the women were brutally raped and, and i'm going to say more than raped you know sexually molested in a totally different level their breasts cut off and you know just and then you know gang raped and then shot in the head when it was all over it's like what this is crazy yeah. so how did that oh, craziness be allowed to happen you know and, and I'm not saying Israel allowed it to happen but that it's a demonic kind of energy that got released yeah that's definitely demonic
1: thinking. for sure
0: yeah and, and so it's a different dimension of what's really going on it'll get clear but um i think the important thing is not polarizing but doing what has to be done without hate just like okay you know you you know you have to take care of business here and that's it but don't get hateful don't get you know it's you know demonic energies uh, entities at different levels there's they're involved in all this because That's all I can say, you know, not just both sides, the whole world at some level, the U.S. is involved and Iran is involved, it goes on and on, you know. So uh, I think if we see it that way, we have a better understanding of the process rather than, well, Israel and Hamas are just having a fight. No, that's not what's going on.
1: Yeah, you're looking at it as a bigger spiritual awakening.
0: way bigger that's
1: needed. And, and um, it's, it's sad and unfortunate and terrible that, you know, innocent people are dying in the process and, you know, we pray for them and their families and pray for their souls. And at the same time, you know, what can we do ourselves wherever we are? It's, you know, pray that this sends, send prayers. I mean, prayers are powerful, positive thinking, good energy, right. Send healing prayers to to the area and to like you said to to any war torn areas i mean the ukraine war that's going on i mean thousands yeah, of thousands of people are of dying Yep,
0: hundreds of thousands you know when you look at the perspective it's like this is going on all over the world we pray every day for you know uh, as much peace and resolution as you can get uh and and probably the biggest message is don't forget the truth, which is God dwells within you as you stay centered with it, and then your actions are guided in the appropriate ways. You have, the Torah clearly says if somebody rises to kill you, it's your responsibility to rise and kill them first. Mm. The Torah actually says that. Interesting. I just had a
1: conversation on my podcast Uh, Recently with John Joseph, I don't know if you know John Joseph, he's a um, author, an Ironman athlete, a a vegan, um, uh, you know, proponent for funny dude from New York City, crazy guy, Uh, amazing guy. And literally we were having this exact same conversation, you know, he was saying it's because he's he's trained in uh, I mean, he is like a 30 plus year. Hare Krishna devotee. And that's what he was saying is, you know, even in the in the Bhagavad Gita or in the Hare Krishna ways, it's, you know, you, you practice peace, you practice love, you practice um, compassion, but, you know, self-defense. If, if someone's coming to attack yeah. you, you know, you take them out. And that's been, it, a, you it, know, it's been a it, hard thing for me not to grasp. that you take them
0: out, it's your responsibility morally and ethically and spiritually to take them out. It's mm. your responsibility it's a very different statement than just self-defense it's like no that's your obligation to preserve life and it starts with you mm. interesting You see what i'm saying it's a little bit different yeah a little bit stronger yeah but it's the same it's the same end result you were going to say something though.
1: no i was just i mean I, all i was saying was you know that's been hard that's been a hard concept for me to to grapple with over the past you know 15 to 18 years on my own spiritual journey it's like compassion no harm to others don't kill don't you know all of these spiritual philosophies that i've learned and then as i've had children and become a parent it's like well yeah but if someone's going to come attack my family am i just going to stand there and like let them like no way right but how do i reconcile that with you know these spiritual beliefs where i've been told you know compassion only, don't kill anything. You know, these are Buddhist principles, for example. And, you know, what John, John, John was telling me uh, about, you know, kind of the, the Indian, the Hare Krishna uh, spiritual philosophy, and now what you're saying right now, it's, just, it's kind of reaffirming what I've been leaning towards the past few years, which is like, well, yeah, of course I'm not going to let someone just come and harm my family. You know, what kind of man or human being would do that?
0: Again, uh, it's moral irresponsibility to allow that to happen.
1: That's from the Torah.
0: Yeah. Wow. You must, it's your responsibility to protect your
1: life. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, it makes, makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. And people do misunderstand. There is a story, and uh, I don't know we're getting late, but <clears throat> in the Maccabean Wars, where they're fighting mostly the, the Greek uh they came upon a group of, of of warriors Maccabees and it was Shabbat and instead of fighting back they allowed them all to, themselves all to be killed when the Maccabee brothers heard about this said, no this is absolutely wrong you must defend yourself you're no good dead so people cross over with spiritual concepts <clears throat> and part of a spiritual concept is your right to life and your moral responsibility to preserve your life and the life of your loved ones and i think that's the key concept here that's the teaching and you clearly see it in the hindu and the you know in the native American and pretty much most cultures around the world I don't know as much about Buddhism, but I uh, I know that that uh, you still have a right, you have an obligation, not a right, an obligation to protect yourself, protect your family. That's how I would see it. Mm. But not to get hateful. It's right. just like you got to do it. Right. Period. And, and and it's your responsibility. We can get really confused with spiritual concepts versus this other level of spiritual concept of this is your moral obligation you take care of yourself and take care of your family
1: yeah got it well gabriel thank you so much for coming on um it's been a fascinating conversation i appreciate always always love talking with you um i I learn more about you every time we talk so uh i appreciate appreciate your time and appreciate you and and send Love and prayers and good energy your way and your family's way and and everybody over in that part of the world, you know, may safety and peace and love and kindness uh, surround everybody over there, you know, may this war end, we need, you know, we need less war, I think, on this planet and more, more understanding, more conscious awakening, more peace, more spiritual practice. Yeah. And for people what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Uh is it just through your website or if they want to you know Well the website is
0: is uh Life. dot dot co or drcousins.com dot com. and that will take you to the website and I have lots of classes on teaching and meditations we're doing several times a week in different places. We have a European hour and we have a Brazilian hour and we have lots of different things happening you know on a, on a weekly you know schedule yep. so we're there we're there giving out as much as we can uh and that's where you can kind of follow our tours and what we're what we're doing so awesome. it's great speaking to you and I, I love you know you're doing really really doing great contribution to the world it's really good and to everyone who's listening may you be blessed that you maintain the peace within your own heart and act from that center of a peaceful heart in all that you do. As they say in the scenes, peace be with you.
1: Peace be with you. Aho matakiasin. Amen.
0: <laughs> Aho matakiasin, which in Native
1: America means to all my relations. To all my relations, yep. Beautiful. All right. Thanks so much. Take care.
2: Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook.
1: So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying cause and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them.
2: In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth and like sort of a, a yin and
0: yang. And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression is we have not evolved.
1: There is also time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.